Revelation chapter 8 and verse number 7, the Bible said, The first angel sounded, and there followed hell and fire mingled the blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of the trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded, and it was as it were a mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood, and the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten, and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So the third part of, the, of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld and, an, and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Father, I pray this morning in Jesus' name. Oh God, I ask you this morning, would you send the power? I pray, dear God, that you would do what we're not able to do. Lord, you know our heart and our soul this morning. God, we do not want to preach to impress anybody, for we know that's impossible. Lord, we don't want to preach this morning to draw attention to our flesh in any way. God, I pray the Holy Spirit would do a work this morning in the hearts of men. I pray, God, that you would walk up and down the aisles of this church. I pray that you'd silence the devil. And I pray, dear God, that you would work this morning as only you can. Send the power. And may we this morning that are here, that have been privileged to hear the word of God, I pray that you would give us hearts to listen and ears to hear. And may we respond accordingly to the invitation as the Spirit of God would bid us to this morning. I ask you, Lord, to remove any, uh, Lord, distractions or anything that, uh, any foul spirit or anything that would try to hinder the working of thy spirit this morning. And we'll love you and we'll praise you and thank you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. I want to preach out of verse number six, even though I did not read it this morning, where the Bible says, and the seven angels, which had the seven trumpets, notice this, prepared themselves to sound. Notice that little phrase there, prepared themselves to sound. And I want to preach this morning on this subject on when trumpets begin to sound. When trumpets begin to sound. I won't take the time this morning to uh, talk about the different meanings of trumpets and, and the sounding of those trumpets for time would not allow us to do that this morning. Maybe we'll do that at another point. But what I do want to mention this morning is that when you come to the tribulation period, it can be marked or broken up even though it is interwoven uh, with three great pouring out of judgments. There's the seven seal judgments, there's the seven trumpet judgments, and then there's the seven vile judgments. And you know that this morning. And when you think about these three different types of judgments, they represent three different things concerning the judgment of God within itself. We know that the tribulation period it is the marking of God's final judgments pouring out upon this earth. We know that after the tribulation period, there will be the great white throne judgment. We know that Satan is going to be judged. Uh, we know that, my friend, that there's going to be uh, the final renovation of this earth and the judgment uh, that will even consume this world with a new creation and a new earth that is to come. But what do these judgments represent? I would say this morning that when we think about the seven seal judgments, 
that we've talked about and preached about. Those seven sealed judgment represent, my friend, the preparing for God's final judgment. They're an introduction to what's about to happen. They are the beginning of sorrows that's gonna take place on the earth in the tribulation period. They're the preparing of God's final judgment. When we think about these seven sealed judgments this morning, they, my friend, are the proclaiming of God's final judgment. They're broken up at just like the seven seals in chapter eight with four trumpets and then in chapter number nine with three trumpets. And they're broken up in that same manner representing God's proclaiming of his judgment. One thing God wants this world to know before he destroys it ultimately for time and eternity is that God is a God of judgment and those that do not seek refuge within him and within his son will face that judgment upon this earth and in eternity. Amen. I would say to you this morning, if you're not prepared for God's judgment, then you need not wait for an invitation this morning. You need not wait for me to beg you to come. We're not singing 25 verses of just as I am. What you need to know this morning, dear friend, is that God's judgment is swiftly upon us and it's now or it's never. It's turn or burn. It's you sink or swim. You've got to come by way of the cross. It's repent or it's perish if you do not get saved. Amen. And so my friend, these trumpets reveal God's proclaiming of judgment. Those seals represent God's, uh, uh, listen, preparing for judgment. And then the vials represent God's pouring out of judgment as if we think it's bad enough. In chapter six, seven, eight, and nine, it's only going to get worse, amen? I'm telling you, God uh, is going to turn this world inside out and upside down uh, and every rock and every tree uh, and every part of the sea uh, and everyone that's ever been buried with within this mud ball, one day we'll know from the rising of the sun to the very core of hell itself that God is sovereign, that God is the judge of this world and the worlds to come, amen. And so when we think about that this morning, what I see in this text here, there is four trumpets. I want you to notice in verse number seven, there is the first trumpet. The Bible said the first angel sounded and there followed hell and fire mingled with blood and they were cast upon the earth and the third part of the trees were burnt up and all green grass was burnt up. This is the brewing storm that is about to take place. That angel uh, puts his lips upon that first trumpet. He sounds that trumpet across the universe. Uh, it goes across the airwaves uh, of this world that we're living in uh, and then all of a sudden within the flash of a moment the Bible said that there is hell that is mingled with fire and blood uh, that comes upon this earth and it destroys a third part of the trees and a third part of the green grass. What is this? This is nothing more than the brewing storm of what's about to take place. The seven seals have come, but now it's going to a different stage. God is about to pour his judgment out like it has never seen before, amen? Notice not only this brewing storm, but I want you to see in verse number eight here, I want you to notice the boiling sea. As the Bible said, the second angel sounded as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea and the third part of the sea became blood and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died and the third part of the ships were destroyed. We see God's boiling sea. If it wasn't enough, my friend, for those great balls of hell, fire mingled with blood coming upon this 
earth shooting like meteorites uh, and asteroids upon this earth. Uh, all of a sudden, the Bible said that a great mountain is pushed off into the sea and it's too is burning with fire. Uh, and the Bible said a third part of the sea uh, died uh, and a third part uh, of, of what was in it died uh, and a third part of the ships uh, of this entire world was destroyed, amen. Now, I read where a couple commentaries said this, and I want to stop and say that I personally do not believe this. I'm not one to refute or be controversial, but looking at the text, I do not believe this, but uh, some of the commentaries, good men, uh, believe that this is all symbolic and not literal. But the problem that I have with that, if I told you the names of those men, you would be surprised. They are men that we would all read after and that we would hold highly in esteem. And, and I'm not criticizing them. I haven't written a commentary on the entire Bible. And I'm sure if I did, there'd be a lot of mistakes, a lot more than what come from these men. But I personally do not believe it's symbolic because, listen, you can't take part of this and say part of it is symbolic and the other part is not. Amen? They want to say that the trees represent world leaders and the grass because the Bible said does say that all flesh is as grass uh, and that it represents population and they want to say that that mountain represents a great nation because in the Old Testament mountains do represent great nations that's being but I want to tell you the ships are literal amen what dies in the sea is literal isn't that right the hell fire coming out of the, uh, of the heavens is literal I just think it's all literal amen now you can decide what you want to uh, but I'm here to tell you friend God he is going to send judgment upon this earth, amen. And so there's the brewing storm. There is, uh, notice here, the boiling sea. Can you imagine the sea is boiling as an inferno? And then we see here in verse number 10, there is uh, in verse 10 and verse number 11, the banished star. As the Bible said that the third angel sounded and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp, and it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of, of the waters. Uh, and the Bible said in verse number 11, that the name of the star is called Wormwood. Now that word Wormwood simply means bitter. And that star is none other than Satan himself. He is cast out of the third heaven and my friend, he poisons the waters. Uh, he poisons, uh, uh, my friend, the rivers. Uh, and look what the word of God says here. The Bible says many men died of the waters because they were made bitter. Now some believe that these waters are symbolic, but I don't believe they're symbolic neither, amen? Because the Bible says here that these men died uh, because the waters were bitter, amen? I wanna tell you, friend, uh, uh, Satan has always poisoned this world but my friend in the tribulation period it's going to be an all out attack he's going to rage and his fury also is going to be as bad as it's ever been in all of its time and so we see here this banished star God once again kicks him out of heaven you know my friend when you think about that it proves that God always has been in charge and he always will be in charge amen and so there's this banished star but then I noticed the blackened skies. The Bible said in verse number 12, and the fourth angel sounded and a third part of the sun was smitten, a third part of the moon and the stars, and a third part of them was darkened and the day shone not for a third part of it and the night likewise. Now think about this tonight, this morning. If there's anything that the world hates, it is this. You know what the world hates the most? They hate light. 
The Bible said, Jesus said, some men love darkness rather than light. You know why they do that? Because their deeds are evil. Now you mark this down this morning. If you don't get anything else I say, I hope you get this. That when people start rejecting and refusing light, it's only for one reason. They love darkness. And I've watched it in the lives of saved people and lost people. Lost people will come to church and they love the singing. Boy, they like that singing. They even like that shouting. Boy, like we heard this morning, and I appreciate folks shouting and praising God, and they'll like that shouting, but they don't like that preaching. I had a man tell me one time, he said, you know, that singing, I remember visiting him, and he told me, he said, he was led, he was, he was bedridden, and, and I was trying to witness to him and win him to Christ, and, and I told him I was trying to give him the gospel. He said, well, I'm just gonna be honest with you. He said, I listen to gospel singing all the time. I said, well, that's good. I said, I'm glad you listened to it. But I said, I, I, said, I want to ask you, have you been born again? I said, let me take my Bible and show you how to be saved. And he said, well, he, he, said, I, he said, preacher, he said, I'll be honest with you. He said, singing is enough for me. I said, singing's not enough. He said, I love the singing. He said, I just never have been big on preaching. I got problems with people like that. I mean, I got problems with their souls, what I'm saying. Brother, if you don't love preaching, there's something wrong with you. If you're here this morning, you say, well, I've been saved, Brother Gravely, and that's wonderful, but even though you're saved, if you're not careful, you can fall into that darkness. You can get into sin. And I've seen it many times as a pastor. Good people used to sing in the choir, used to testify. Some have taught Sunday school. Some have preached sermons here. They've had, uh, listen, others have, have been used uh, instrumentally. Some have testified. Some have shouted. But I knew, uh, uh, listen, as a pastor, they were getting in trouble because all of a sudden darkness somewhere have crept into their life. You know why? Because all of a sudden the preaching that they once loved, uh, they no longer like it anymore. Amen? Now if you want to know why some people, uh, listen, leave our church and go to another church uh, and they always blame the pastor or they always blame the church or they always blame somebody, I'm just going to tell you why. It's not the preacher's fault. Now I've got faults, uh, but I'm not into running anybody off. Somebody say amen. I sure don't want people to leave uh, and I don't think you're into running nobody off neither. Amen? When they go out and say it's the church. I don't no more believe that than I would expect you to believe it's the pastor. But the real problem is it's just got a little too tight around here for them because they've got into some darkness and all of a sudden what they once stood against, now they're letting it creep in to their life. Amen. I'm talking about what he's gonna do in this text. He's gonna turn the light out. Not completely because that day's coming. He's going to give them what the world's always wanted, and that's darkness. You know why the philosophy of this world is, is do what you want to, whatever makes you feel good. Whatever. Isn't that, isn't that the, the, the theme of the day? Friend, that's wicked. That's wicked as hell itself. Don't you listen to nobody that says, well, you deserve this. I can't stand it when people say that. If you, look, don't ever say to me, I deserve anything, because I, I deserve hell is what I deserve. Somebody get a new car and say, well, you deserve that. No, they don't deserve that. I don't deserve a bicycle. I don't deserve a donkey to ride. Somebody say amen. amen. By the way, you don't either, amen. amen. 
Well, you deserve that, that, that nice suit or that new dress or, or that new promotion on the job. No, we don't deserve anything. Anything outside of slaughter is counted a blessing, amen? I'm telling you, we don't deserve nothing. But that's the philosophy of this world is that, well, you deserve to have this. You deserve, I'm telling you, friend, that's dark theology. You ought to look in the light of God's word. The Bible said not to esteem ourselves, not to think highly of ourselves. We don't deserve nothing outside the grace of God. And I'm here to say God is one day gonna give this world what they've always wanted. He's gonna turn the lights out on this world. He's gonna blacken the sun, the moon, the stars. There's gonna be more darkness than there is in Alaska. There's gonna be a time like it was, uh, uh, like the world has never seen before. But when I think about this this morning, what do these four trumpets represent? Let me give them to you this morning. I pray that God will use them to help us this morning. I wanna say these trumpets reveal to us uh, five fundamental truths uh, in the word of God. Let me give them to you very quickly this morning. I see the first fundamental truth here is the sound of his judgment. When the Bible says in verse number six that the seven angels, which which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. We see here the first fundamental truth of concerning God's judgment with these trumpets is the sounding of God's judgment. You say, preacher, what do you mean by the sounding of God's judgment? I simply mean this. God never sends his judgment without first giving people a witness and giving them a warning. Amen. I know there are those that never heard the gospel, but that's not God's fault. You and I have the responsibility. And by the way, can we, I want to stop and say this. When Jesus gave the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, do you know that's what the disciples did and all the world heard the gospel? So now don't look around and say, well, what about those in Africa? What about those in Papua New Guinea? What about those that's never heard the gospel? The reason they've never heard the gospel is because men turned from the gospel when light was given and that is the result of generations who have God is not going to force himself on a nation no more than he's going to force himself on an individual. The Bible said the wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. And if you want to know why there's heathen nations upon this earth it's simply because uh, that one time uh, in history past uh, they rejected the sounding of the gospel for him. Isn't that a tragedy this morning? Because what happened behind the iron curtain could easily happen to us. In fact, if you want my opinion for what it would be worth, I think it is happening to us. The sleepiness of the saints is slowly causing America to plunge. It's not the White House, it's not the Democrats, and it's not the Republicans. It's not Hollywood this morning, it's not liberal New York, it's not liberal California. I'm gonna tell you who really got heaven stirred up about the problem with America this morning. It's our churches. You hear how quiet it is right now? Because it's easy to blame all them other categories. But judgment's not starting in Washington. God isn't going to Hollywood and judging Hollywood. They're gonna slide that thing off in the ocean themselves one of these days by their own sinful living. But I'm gonna tell you when God starts judging, he's coming to the church house, friend. He's coming to his bride. Judgment's gonna begin in the house of God. The apathy and the complacency and the lack of commitment and the worldliness and the sinfulness. And my friend, the rebellion that goes on in the church is far more wicked and far more sinful 
sinful than Hollywood ever thought about putting anything out. You say, how is that possible, preacher? Because we have light and they don't. We know what's right and they don't. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. They're doing the only thing they know. If you really want to know where the blame is, it's at our feet this morning. I'm here to tell you, friends. I know this kind of preaching probably don't, it probably don't grow a church physically, numerically, but it's the truth. And I don't think I've ever been more burdened about it. I'm telling you this morning, if you want to keep what you got a decade from now, you better pray and do more than just praying. You better pull up and you better get off the sideline and get on the front line and commit and don't look at the person sitting beside you or behind you or in front of you. You better take the responsibility just like I feel this morning that it's upon your shoulders and your shoulders alone because if you don't, you're going to blink your eye and it ain't going to be nothing but a shell. What's going to be? Talking about the sounding of it. You know, right, even right now while I'm preaching, you know what that was? I didn't plan on saying all that. You know what that was this morning? That was a warning sounded from the pulpit to this preacher all the way down the pews. Do you love your church? Do you thank God for your place? Oh, you better commit. You better give your all. You better pray. I'm telling you, friend, I see it week in and week out. I'm telling you, uh, go back a year later and it's almost gone and, and they're lifeless and they're breathless and, and don't be a spiritual thermometer and worry about, listen, take and put yourself under the microscope. Look at yourself. Uh, don't say it's my brother, it's my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, that's standing in the need of prayer. There's the sounding of, this tru- of his judgment. God sounds his warning. Hey, I can't get off of this, but let me say this this morning. If you're here and you're tinkering with sin and you're dabbling with sin, you better mark it now. You've been given a warning this morning. God has sounded his warning. And if you go out here and say, well, I don't know who that preacher thinks he is to preach something like that. Or if you go out like a lot of people and say, well, you know what? He just heard something and he's a friend. I ain't heard nothing. And if I had heard something, I probably would preach on it anyway. Amen. Just because it ought to be preached on. But I'm telling you, say, well, he's heard something. No, I've not heard nothing but I have been on my knees and I do have a word from God this morning and I believe God is trying to sound a warning to some folks this morning. But that book's only cut one way, friend. And it don't matter if it's the banker or the beggar this morning. No matter how much money you put in the offering plate, doesn't matter what your title is, I'm here to tell you when God, I, I mean, I got, I'll never get these other points this morning. You know what it is? God putting a warning out here. And I don't know who he's talking to. A hundred percent. I got a few ideas. But I don't know a hundred percent this morning who he's talking to. But I know he's talking to somebody. Probably more than one. Probably several. We have changed in this day. This used to be our greatest battle in the church in keeping them right. This, this used to be. This could be my last sermon here this morning <laughs> for what I'm about to say. But I'm just going to tell you where we're at. Hey, and if you fire me, I, I'll go get me a I got an amen out of my grandson right there. Hallelujah. 
Hey, fire me. Amen. I'm just going to tell you, and I am not the only one that feels this way. This used to be our biggest, this is where rebellion used to come from. This used to be the, it ain't no more. It's the ones that used to sit there that's grown up. That used to be where all your drama, it ain't no more. I'm going to tell you something this morning. I really don't know, church, I'm telling you, I really don't know if even Bible Baptist Church will be a spiritual church a decade from right now. I really don't know. I'm probably more concerned about this, the spiritual. You say, preacher, don't we have, we got any problems? We don't have no problems that I know of. I hadn't heard anything. But I'm going to tell you something. I hope it does shock every person in this building because I'm going to tell you, I'm tired of, and it ain't your fault, I'm tired of just holding it in. I just, Brother David, I just want to tell it. I really don't know. This is as good a church as anyone I, I know of, and people say that. I don't know if we'll be a spiritual church 10 years from now. I'll still keep preaching by the grace of God, the word, but you can have the word and be dead. You can have the word and have shouting and be dead. And that is no reflection on shouting. You know, hey, we're, hey I don't want to pastor a church where somebody don't get happy. Somebody say amen. Isn't that right? I'm not against those that do, but I don't want to come in with a paper and pen and sit down and be like a bunch of monks. No, no, no. I don't want to be like that. But I'll tell you where we're at. Brother Laddie, you know this. We're trying to resurrect people that are saved, but they ain't living right. They ain't got, they, hey, they, they're not living holy lives. And they come to church and and, and I know there is people out here that, that meet that criteria. And I'm not saying because you shout you're holy because I've seen some people shout that weren't holy. What I'm talking about is the reality. The reality years ago, I hope this would make sense to you. Years ago, I mean, you could come in and you could preach and you could sing a few songs and boy, I mean, boom. The liberty, the freedom. People's fired up, wasn't they? You don't have to act like me. I'm not saying that. I hope you understand what I'm saying. But people was fired up. You know why? Because they were fired up at home. They had a desire to please God. They, they, they read their Bible. They prayed. They had a burden for souls. They loved the Lord on Monday and Tuesday. And they went to, they worked their jobs. People all the time are throwing their jobs off, say, blaming their jobs for their spiritual, their lack of spirituality. But people's always worked jobs. Can I get an amen right there? They've always worked jobs. Can I tell you something? The people that came to church in the 60s and 70s and 80s and shouted and praise God, some of you gray-haired saints know what I'm talking about because that was you. They didn't have all the gadgets and the the GPSs and the the iPads and the tablets and and the cell phones. and They didn't have all the technology and and, and everything wasn't a push, but no, but you know what? They fought wars and built factories. That's what they did. Sent their sons to war and buried them. And they still had power. You know why? Because they lived holy. And preaching, they could take it. Because I've watched too many of them come in, stay a few weeks, and the Holy Spirit said, I want you to preach on this. And they leave. And we got a good number this morning.
Boy, I didn't mean to say all that, but I'm not sorry I did. Sounding of the trumpet. It's a warning. I don't know. I wonder who God is warning this morning. I, I tell you as your pastor, I pray, dear God, help Bible Baptists. Help Bible Baptists to stay on course. You young people, give your life to Christ. Don't sell out to the world. Don't sell out to a paycheck. I appreciate people that make good money and thank God for good money. Nothing wrong with having a good job. But I tell you, don't you let your job become your God this morning. Amen. Amen. All your job is is a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool. It's a gift that God gave you to make money. And you're never going to make more money than what you have needs of. God, God may decide to let you be a millionaire. If he does, you won't play the lottery and get that million. Amen. God may decide to let you be a millionaire because you can handle it and he wants you to do something with that money. I'll never make a million. But he'll take care of my needs. And I think in America, if we stop trying to get rich, we just start trying to live, get our priorities right, just live for God. And say, thank you, Lord, whether I work at Walmart or whether I, whether I work out in, the, out in, in work digging a ditch or whether I, I work in, a, in an office job somewhere. None of that stuff even matters. All it is is just a tool for you to pay your bills, supply for your family. I got it in the wrong order, but give to your local church. Tithe. Tithe. And tithe. <laughs> Tithe to your church and give to missions so that people can hear what you've heard and eternally have what you've had. That's all your job's for. If we could quit trying to make our children the next, you know, superstar athlete, football, baseball, basketball. Man, I'm telling you, I played rec ball when I was a kid. You know why? Because it was my babysitter. This will go over probably like a lead balloon, but for the few of y'all that are still listening out there, <laughs> I'm just telling you how God works. I played rec ball till I got saved. And the first summer after I got saved, or the next summer, I played rec ball. And I can remember sitting in the dugout and looking out across the field and the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. I didn't know. I probably, I don't know very, I never even read the Bible through. But I was sitting there and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, is this really what you want to do? You really want to do this? It's 14 years old, 14. And I played my last game that day. I went to my coach and I said, I, I'm, I'm quitting. He said, what? I said, I'm done. He said, why? He said, what's wrong? I said, I, said, I thought he's not going to understand. I don't even understand this. I said, I just don't want to do this no more. He said, well, can you finish the year out? And I said, no, I can't. I didn't even finish. <laughs> you know what a man said to me one time about his boy? 
playing little league. He said, well, he started missing church, and I said something. He said, well, I always taught my boys, you need to finish what they started. I said, that's right. And they started church before they started little league. Somebody say amen. Amen. Isn't that right? Amen. I didn't finish. I got my bat and I got my glove. I walked off the field that day. I'm going to tell you something. It's the greatest day of my life. Say so why? Because about three months later, God called me to preach. I'm going to tell you what I believe, Andrew. Brother Andrew. If I wouldn't have quit baseball, God would have never called me to preach. Amen. Do you hear how quiet it is right now, friend? You know why? Because Little League has become a God. We got a lot of parents. They're living their lives through their children. You say, you against my son playing Little League? Hey, you'll answer to God for what you do. That's between you and God. All I'm trying to say to you this morning, they might be missing the bigger things uh, when you feel their life full of everything else. Uh, I would have missed the big thing uh, if I would have held on to a baseball bat. Oh, I'd have never been good. Uh, I'd have never been. You know, some, every young person I think or see that plays ball, they think they're the next Tim Tebow. Got a news flash for them. They're not near as good as they think they are and their parents think they are. Little Johnny can really hit that ball. Yeah, there's a whole lot of little Johnnies out there outside of Walker County. Somebody say amen. It's destroyed a lot of young people. And I know we're coming on the crest of football season. Let's just go ahead and bury this thing real good this morning. I don't even like to talk about it when I go to church. I mean, I know we cut up and joke a little bit. I'm not, you know, we cut up about it. I don't want you to think that I get upset about that. I don't. What I'm saying is I don't like to go to church and it's just all about football, football, football. Everybody's football crazy, aren't they? They're so passionate about that. I'm not fussing at you if you watch a game. I'm not telling you that. I'm telling you the monster of this thing today. The monster. You know why they're not selling? You know why young people aren't going to the mission field? You know why they're not surrendering to evangelism? I think sometimes the devil, if he can get one of you, get you boys involved in all that, get you out there on the field, get you out there playing, get everybody cheering you on and and everybody just patting you on the back and telling you how great you are. You know what? You'll hear all them voices. And you won't hear his voice. I'm going to tell you girls something. You ought to get this in your heart this morning. If you're not careful, when you start hitting 14, 13, 14, I don't know what it is nowadays, but you'll look over there and the devil will say, well, wouldn't you like to be a cheerleader? Amen. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to wear one of them cheerleading outfits? Wouldn't you like to have some pom-poms? Wouldn't you like to, wouldn't you like to, to be popular and all that kind of stuff? I'm going to tell you something. You cheerlead for Christ. Don't you sell yourself to this world for two or three years of pleasure on a sideline 
where some wicked boy can take advantage something terrible happen or even if that don't happen you get desires in your heart that was never meant to be there and then your life is ruined and your spiritual life you miss your opportunity is what happens you don't pick it up later you miss your opportunity to be all that God would have you to be I tell you this morning church I I, I I'm telling you, if anybody in this building is surprised at the preaching, you're looking at him this morning because that is not the avenue I was going at all this morning. But that for, I, wasn't, I didn't even read the verse, but I want to tell you with all my heart this morning, I believe the Holy Spirit is sending out a warning. He said, don't you get mad at anything I said. You know I love you. I've preached myself under conviction more in the last good night three months. Than I have anybody. Every sermon has convicted my old soul, but I reckon that's a good thing. But don't you get mad because of something I said this morning. You get mad, even if you're visiting. You get mad and go out of here, you're going to get off on the wrong track somewhere. I want you to know this morning, I know I'm nothing, but I want you to know I love you this morning. And I care about you. And I care about your kids. I'm so sick and tired. Here's what happens. Here's what happens. Parents get mad, they don't listen. If they don't leave, they stub up on you. Yeah, that's right. And then one day their kids turn out to be a bunch of hellions. They go the wrong way. They come sit in your office and they bawl their eyes out. And you cry with them. But can I tell you something? It's too late. I'm not telling you God's grace can't reach them, but I'm going to tell you something about them prodigals. They don't all come home. While you got them on this end, why don't you do everything you can to keep them from being a prodigal rather than let them turn into one? That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. And hey, church member, there's a lot of prodigal churches out there too. When that prodigal left home, I'm going to tell you what that father did not do. He did not go to where that boy was and embracing him. He didn't even feed him. He didn't send food to that boy. He didn't go down there and say, hey, I want you to go find my son and I want you to send him some food. He may be, no, you know what he did? He let him hit rock bottom. I do not buy into this mentality. Oh, my soul. I, there, listen, do not buy into this worldly mentality. Well, if you just love them, you can love them to Jesus. You know what real love is? Real love is staying at the farm when your heart is broken into a thousand pieces. And never one time coddling what they do. I prove it to you from that text. When that boy was in that hog pen and he, he would have fain have filled his belly with the swine that the husk did eat, the turning point was when the Bible says and when he came to himself. Isn't that right? What was he thinking about when he came to himself? You know what he, you know what he was thinking about? Bread. 
when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have bread enough to eat and to spare, and I perish with hunger? You know, if that father had kept going down there and checking on that boy, he kept on sending things down there helping him, the boy would never come home. He'd never come home. I tell you this morning, only God knows what he's doing in this invitation. Let's stand. I have no idea this morning, but Lord, you know. You know all things. I pray this morning, Heavenly Father, I pray the Holy Spirit will do something. What needs to be done? Maybe somebody needs to be saved. Maybe somebody needs to get right with you this morning. No doubt there are those that need to do business this morning. God, help us. Help us, Lord. Help us not to be apathetic. Help us not to be full of complacency. Oh, God, I pray. If there's anybody in this room, Lord, no doubt there's probably somebody here lost. They're lost as lost can be. They're fooling themselves. Oh, God, I pray, convict them. Please, Lord, please pull the scales off their eyes. Make it clear. And Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that's saved, but they're so worldly, maybe in their heart there's rebellion there. They don't like what has been said. Oh, God, I pray, please, let them see that it's a warning. And may they do business this morning. If you need to come, would you come?